Since Brazil's return to democracy, presidential elections and World Cups have always fallen on the same year. Fernando Henrique Cardoso and Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva won their first terms as president on the back of Brazil's World Cup triumphs of 1994 in the U.S. Bateu, bateu, acabou! And 2002 in Korea, Japan. Que Oliver, que nada the famous 7-1 defeat to Germany in 2014 came just a couple of months before a particularly heated election between Dilma Rousseff and Aécio Neves, the fallout of which led to Rousseff's impeachment just two years later. 2022, however, is a little bit different. Thanks to the high summer temperatures in host nation Qatar, football's biggest event is taking place at the end of the year for the first time in history. And never before has it been so close to coinciding with Brazil's October election. Today we're talking about the 2022 World Cup and what effects, if any, it will have on the Brazilian political landscape. And why not? We'll look at Brazil's chances of winning that elusive sixth world title, which no one has yet. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report and football fanatic. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Gustavo. So the 2022 World Cup in Qatar has kicked off a few days ago on Sunday. We are recording this on Tuesday and we have already plenty of action to enjoy, right? Yeah, it has definitely been an exciting start. Uh, Brazil have yet to debut, uh, but by the sounds of things, the country is still kind of celebrating Argentina's loss to Saudi Arabia on Tuesday morning. Is that is that right? Shot taken! Go! Oh, that's right! Oh, my! I mean, I have to admit that I'm always rooting for a South American team when they're playing, especially when they're playing the European side, But that kind of changes when they're going against an underdog like Saudi Arabia. And I mean, just to be clear, that thing for the underdog comes even when I don't agree with how a country behaves politically or diplomatically, as is the case with the Saudis. But for me, at least in the World Cup, I kind of forget what countries stand for, what countries represent, and I only focus on football. And I'm always rooting for an upset. So, yes, uh, I really enjoyed watching Argentina lose, even if my sweepstakes guess was far from the actual results. But of course, my attention is on Thursday when Brazil is playing Serbia, its debut. I've been waiting four and a half years for that. Uh, anyone, I know you too, because you have spent a few World Cups in Brazil now. Is this your third or fourth? Fourth. Yeah, I was here in 2010 um, before I actually moved here. But yeah, I was in the 2010 World Cup. I was also here. <laughs> so how you're finding this atmosphere as opposed to 2010, 14 and 18? Well, I mean, obviously it's different from 2014 because Brazil hosted that one. Um, but it's really, it's starting to heat up. 
um, for sure. Uh, I'm start, you know, you're seeing lots of bars and restaurants. They've all got the Brazil flags. They're all advertising that they're going to be showing the game on Thursday. There's a lot more people walking around with Brazil shirts on. And, you know, it's all that people are talking about on the streets. Um, but I think we do need to wait until Brazil actually get on the pitch for the whole thing to kind of go into overdrive. Yeah, it's it has been like that the fir- the last few World Cups, right? Nobody gives a damn until uh, the ref blows the whistle and Brazil starts playing. Exactly. So on the topic of the Brazilian flag, because we're now seeing it everywhere. We're less than a month after the presidential election, and it was one of the most heated in the country's democratic history, maybe the most heated one. Uh, And just a few weeks ago, every time we saw the Brazilian football jersey or the Brazilian flag, we would identify it with something completely different from football, right? Yeah, um, I mean, that's because, I mean, ever since the start of his election campaign, a successful election campaign in 2018, the now defeated far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, he, he's always sought to center his image around Brazil's kind of patriotic symbols. Uh, the best example being his famous motto, Brazil acima de tudo, Deus acima de todos. Brazil above everything, God above everyone. Um, so certainly, like, for the last for the last four years, past four years, maybe even a bit longer than that, Brazilians have linked seeing the flag to Bolsonarism, um, which makes this World Cup period, you know, quite a bit jarring because a lot of people are, you know, a lot of restaurants are putting flags up. Before that, you wouldn't see that before. Yes, and just on that note, this right-wing, quote, appropriation of the yellow and green, this did not start with Bolsonaro, did it? Because we can date this back to a nation- nationwide protest movement that started in 2013, just before Brazil hosted the Confederations Cup. Uh, it was initially a movement against the hike of bus fares. Um, and then it evolved into something completely different. It got nationwide, it got huge. It ran out of any clear demands and quickly became about that general dissatisfaction that Brazilians have with public service and the amount of taxes we pay, we're not getting it back. And it quickly took a turn to the right wing because we saw protesters showing up in Brazil flags, singing the national anthem, uh, clapping at the police, which you've never seen left wing protests, and marching against that center-left government that Dilma Rousseff was running at the time. Yeah, that's right. So you're talking about that period where you have these protests against something like the, the, the bus fares. And then once that demand goes away, we had a bunch of kind of new reactionary movements who commandeered the demonstrations and they all wanted to use this nationalist um, aesthetic. And so they managed to switch the focus of the movement from something like really diffuse to something that was just directly opposed to the Brazilian left, along with the national anthem and the flag. And after they managed to force Dilma Rousseff out of the picture in 2016, it was Jair Bolsonaro, who at that time uh, was a backbencher. A lot of Brazilian voters had never heard of him, Uh, but he was the one who kind of took control of that flag-waving crowds and used it to successfully run for president two years later. Uh, And Ewan, we have four years of Bolsonaro. We're finishing his fourth 
here in office. Uh, we are seeing yet another polarized election. And we are seeing in Brazil something that uh, I used to see in France because you don't see French people with the three-color flag every, every time. You will see them a lot in far-right rallies. And I remember going to Stade de France to watch Brazil playing France. And when I saw all these French flags waving, I felt like, oh, am I in a Marine Le Pen rally or something? So do you think now that the ball is rolling that we are going to see that dissociation of the Brazilian flag and the jersey from political movements and people are just like going to use it to enjoy football? Well, I mean, I think because we're so close from the election, right? Um, and it was showed such a big split in the Brazilian society. So I don't think we can expect Brazil to just come together um, and, and, and enjoy the World Cup together. But, I mean, there certainly has been a push from like the kind of the anti-Bolsonaro, the left and also the people in the centre and even the moderate right who are opposed to Bolsonaro. There is a, there is a kind of preoccupation by them to try to reclaim these national symbols. And by the way, I remember something that went viral was an image of uh, this neighbourhood that painted everything green and yellow and then put a sign like, we're not Bolsonaristas, this is just the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was, that was the confusion, I think. We we're talking about this jarring period between the, between the elections and the World Cup. We we're trying to kind of work out, you know, is this all because of football or not? Um, but, you know, even Lola, who's the, the president-elect, he addressed this idea of, the, of like the, the national football shirt, for example, saying that it belongs to the Brazilian people. Uh, not to a particular figure or a particular political party. O verde e amarelo não é de candidato, não é de partido. Um, and I think after the World Cup, the far right is sure to continue having that link to these national symbols. But I think for now, during the World Cup, it's kind of lost that monopoly, let's say. And I think at this point, it's worth noting that there is a segment of the population that has not accepted the electoral result, and they continue for the third week now to stage this putschist anti-democratic protests. We have seen a new wave of pro-Bolsonaro demonstrators trying to block roads, especially now at this week at the state of Mato Grosso, which is an agricultural powerhouse. Uh, they literally call for a military intervention, which is a dog whistle term for a coup d'etat, uh, and they really believe that they can stop the transition of power and keep Bolsonaro in office. And of course, if you look at the pictures, they're all in yellow and green. We have uh, written about this on the Brazilian Report. These protests, they are growing smaller, but they're getting more radical, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if we if we go back to the vote itself, um, the very next day we saw what we saw is lots of small groups um, of protesters around the country. They're blocking federal highways, and I mean, they even shut off access to the uh, Guarulhos International Airport in São Paulo, which is the busiest in the country. Um, and these kind of roadblocks they they continued for a few days because you know President Bolsonaro was silent about it, and that was taken as a kind of tacit you know, support for, for, for this idea that, you know, they should block roads. Yeah, and the police also acted in the way of tacitly supporting, sometimes not so tacitly, like we saw uh, the police clapping at some protesters, saying that they agreed with, the, with their um, claims and what they stood for. And by the way, 
we have a country that relies on trucks and roadways to transport over 60% of our cargo. So this is not just about uh, um, a political thing, but it is an economic risk, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, we saw Jair Bolsonaro have to make a public statement um, saying that his supporters should clear um, these roadblocks because, I mean, as you said, it's an economic you know, issue and lots, lots of his allies and lots of his supporters work in, you know, agribusiness, those sorts of areas which rely on cargo being transported by road. But we have to notice that Bolsonaro was half-hearted when he was giving that statement, especially for someone who made a name uh, for himself in being very uh, assertive and aggressive in his rhetoric. He was very flat in his delivery and like a lot of uh, his uh, supporters took it as a, a, a de facto um, endorsement. And just like he's saying that quote unquote for the system, but he actually wants us here. Yeah, I definitely. I think it was it was taken as um, a salute to the protesters themselves. Potentially a kind of a bit of instruction saying that right now roadblocks are maybe not the best thing. So what we saw actually is the protest switch to these kind of vigils almost outside of military barracks around kind of kind of major cities. They're just camping outside military headquarters trying to demand the army to intervene and cancel the vote. But as you mentioned, um, we've also more recently, we've seen a return of these roadblocks in a way that is more radicalized. I mean, they're less in number, but they're, you know, they seem to be more violent. And as you mentioned in the center west state of Mato Grosso, which is the epicenter of this kind of new movement, I mean, we saw hooded protesters trashing a highway toll booth and, you know, torching an ambulance and a tow truck. So, you know, it's, Things seem to have taken on a kind of strange element here. So I think at this point, this is where the World Cup comes in. For those who have never been to Brazil during this tournament, which I think John Oliver brilliantly described as... It's like the Super Bowl, except the rest of the world actually gives a... But the country comes to a sort of standstill when the national team is playing. If you want to pick a fight with your employees, just keep them working while the team is playing. And there are a lot of people, and this is true, that avoid using elevators on match days because if the elevator breaks down, I mean, they could be there for hours without any help. Football has been often described as the sort of opium of the people. And of course, this is not a positive light uh, to describe football, but... In 2022, that sort of opium of the people quality, is that what is going to save Brazilian democracy and maybe like wash out this anti-democratic protest? Because who wants to stay blocking roads when we have a World Cup going on? Right? Well, it is. I mean, we can laugh, but it is a proper test for these for these protests because, you know, I mean, I think the majority of these people who are blocking roads really don't care about the World Cup. You know, they're there for, you know, their own reasons um, and their, their their politics and what they believe is the future of the country is more important to them than Brazil playing, um, even though they're usually wearing the Brazil football jersey. Um, but, you know, I think you'd expect the least radical among them to, you know, give up on these roadblocks while Brazil are playing because, you know, nothing happens in Brazil, as we said, while, while, um, while the national team is playing in the World Cup. 
And also, I mean, there's another issue for these demonstrators because they're going to lose almost all form of media attention as well because everyone's just going to be paying attention to what's going on in Qatar for, you know, at least a good few hours throughout that day. And by the way, like if you are on the road and someone is blocking the road and you're on your way to watching the game, I don't think people is going to like keep their cool if that happens. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna face the true power of the Brazilian population. <laughs> After the break, we're going to take a look at just how important the World Cup is to Brazil, both emotionally and economically. That's next. After the break. Before we get into today's show, I have a little reminder for you. As you may already know, the Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. In return, you get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. And today I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vresvik, Alasdair Townsend, Peter Abrahamson, Michael Fryer, Miller Renacido, Jim Awafadeju, David Dixon, Felipe Saito, José Rosi Stankovic, Gabriela Graf Innes, Emerging Market Muser, Yarden Iftar, Tonica Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffering, Anna Land, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you are like them and believe in the importance of independent journalism, just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you cannot make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. And we appreciate all of your support. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. So, even as we noted before the break, the World Cup leads to big, big changes in Brazil. Schools and workplaces often close on days the national team plays. By the way, for the despair of a lot of parents, because their kids are sent home way earlier on match day. And the Brazilian government and the Supreme Court have announced their own special working hours. So, from an economic point of view, it's big, big business, right? Yeah, for sure. I think the, the, the famous stat that always gets bandied around in Brazil before the, the World Cup is re with regard to television sales, um, you know, suggesting that the sector always gets this massive boost before the tournament when people want to upgrade their sets to watch the football. Um, the increase, when you look at it in numbers, is not, you know, it's not quite as sharp as some people expect, but the National Confederation of Commerce recorded a 6.7% increase in searches for new TVs this year. And, you know, that's, that's still quite a lot. Especially considering the sluggish economy, the fact that Brazilians are losing purchasing power. And I remember in past World Cups, and I haven't seen this time around, but it was like, 
if Brazil wins, you don't pay for your TV. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, maybe retailers are confident on the national team because they haven't seen this promotion being tossed around. <laughs> but there's a big difference this time around, right? Because not only does the November-December World Cup mean that the tournament is much closer to the elections, but it also coincides with two of the biggest dates of the year for retail, which is Black Friday this week and then Christmas in December. Yeah, and I think we're just going to have to wait and see a little bit exactly how that affects sales. Because, yeah, we've never had a World Cup at this time before. Uh, some analysts suggest that having the World Cup um, in November and December is just going to turbocharge everything about Black Friday and even Christmas. Um, with suggestions that the effect would be even stronger if Brazil actually goes on to win the World Cup. Um, but you've also got analysts saying that the kind of conjunction of factors here could cause something of a kind of retail overkill. Um, because on the one hand, you're going to have to increase the complexity of supply, demand and logistics forecasts. And on the other, it's not as if, as you said, the Brazilian population, they don't have lots of disposable income to spend on Black Friday purchases, you know, a new World Cup telly. And then, you know, buy lots of Christmas presents as well. Now, one sector that I bet is going to have massive returns is the bar and restaurants sector, right? Because maybe people are not going to buy a new TV set, but they're going to buy lots and lots of liquor, right? Well, that's the, the big advantage, I think, for the bar and restaurants sector during the World Cup is that you know, it's in Qatar, so the games are going to be played in the afternoon, which aren't typically peak times for selling alcohol in, in these bars and restaurants. Usually they're going to sell it more at night. So you'll have people buying beer and wine and spirits and all that sort of stuff much earlier than they would usually. And then, you know, depending on the result, potentially continuing to buy throughout the evening. So, I mean, you know, not depending on the result, right? You either drink it, to forget of the result. or yeah. to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> And the Bars and Restaurants Association, Abracel, they're expecting a 20% revenue increase for the sector during the event, which is huge for a sector which struggled so much during the pandemic. Now, we want to round off this episode. I want to talk a little bit of football. It's not necessarily a matter that we touch a lot on explaining Brazil, but it's the World Cup. Uh, you and I were both football crazy. So let's talk about Brazil because we have five titles more than anyone else. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but the last one came 20 years ago. And I remember because it was like a seven o'clock match. It was playing, being played in Yokohama. Uh, so I remember my mom had done this big breakfast so we could watch the and I was, what, 15? I was 15 years old, so... Literally on the other side of the world. Yeah. My first World Cup, we won, 1994. The first one I had, I was old enough to follow. Then we went to the final. Then we won again. And then it's been 20 years since we managed to go, uh, to go past the semifinals. Is 2022 the charm? Well, I think because you are currently leading our office sweepstakes at the moment, I think you should probably be the one fielding that question. You seem to have more of a handle on what's going to happen. I, I have to say I'm on fire. I, I've taken most results right. Although I had predicted a 5-0 win uh, by Argentina against Saudi Arabia. So I, I think I was the most optimistic in regards to Argentina and just was the most off I've been this World Cup so far, but 
But I do think that uh, we have a good squad this time. I think that for the first time since the 80s, we have a coach repeating, uh, coaching Brazil two World Cups in a row. And I think in terms of the process of understanding the players, I think this is uh, a huge boost. Uh, it's not just like this improvisational operation that we always have. Um, Brazil has dominated South American football in a way that I have never seen before. Uh, so I'm pretty bullish. And also, I mean, um, as a good football fan, I'm always into these superstitions that have nothing, no influence in the outcome. But the last time uh, Brazil won, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva was elected president. And he was elected president on October the 30th. So maybe... It's a good omen for football, even if most players are Bolsonaristas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that you're right in terms of Brazil have a really strong squad this year. I think if you look at Brazil, they don't have any obvious weaknesses um, around that entire team, which when you look at all of the other big sides, I think you can probably pick out one or two, um, one or two weaknesses in their team. And they're not so dependent on Neymar. Not anymore, yeah. Um, they've got some excellent attacking players, so many of them. Um, you'll see, you know, Vinicius Jr. at Real Madrid is one of the most exciting attacking players in football right now. Hafinha, who's also going to be playing a lot for Brazil, is doing superbly at Barcelona. So, yeah, I really think it's going to be very tough to stop Brazil this year. I don't know if they're going to win, but I think it's going to be very tough to stop them. And I really hope, football aside, uh, I'm really hoping that Vinicius Jr., can score a bunch of goals and do his dances because he was a victim of racist demonstrations in Spain, especially by fans of Atletico Madrid uh, because he was dancing. And, um, so I, I hope he can do that in front of the world stage and just like shut everyone up. Uh, I would be really glad uh, even if we lose, I just want him to score a bunch of goals. I think he totally <laughs> deserves it. Uh, now, one of the big issues Brazil is going to have to get past is our terrible streak against European sides. Uh, after the 02 World Cup, when we beat Belgium, uh, England in the round of 16, then the quarterfinals, then we beat Turkey in the semifinals, and then we beat Germany, we have not since beat an European side. Uh, why do you think so? Uh, and, and we haven't faced them that much outside of World Cups now. Well, Brazil tend to, in the last 16 of the World Cup, get drawn against a team from South America or a team from Central America. So, you know, they haven't or had Africa. lots of... Yeah, they haven't had lots of European teams on these kind of early stages. And it seems to be that, you know, they only come against a European team in, in a knockout game when it's the quarterfinals, when it's the semifinals. And so they're already going to be, you know, you know, very well-developed European sides. Um, I also think, you know, in the last World Cup in 2018, Brazil were beaten by Belgium in, 20, in the quarterfinals. And I think Brazil played really well in that game. Um, and I think Belgium were just, you know, slightly better. That wasn't a, you know, it wasn't some sort of awful curse that Brazil folded against the European side. They were just beaten by a better team. Well, and I think this time around, uh, talking about these European teams is that, Brazil are likely to face one or two or maybe three if they do go on to 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 win the World Cup and I don't know I think you're seeing you're you're seeing a good crop of European sides but no one really at Brazil's level yet 
especially because France had a lot of injuries, right? Benzema is not in. Yeah. They, they had the other people. But, Fran- uh, but France haven't played yet, so it's best not to say because <laughs> France could win 5-0. Um, I think the Netherlands impressed me in their first game. It took them a while to, to, to get ahead, but they seemed quite comfortable. England obviously put six goals past past Iran, so you know there's but plenty of teams that they took two goals from Iran, yeah, which but, is a bad team. Well, there's plenty of um, there's plenty of European sides that Brazil should watch out for, but I think Brazil are very well positioned to win. And if we do win this World Cup, it's going to be arguably the most difficult path towards the trophy. So uh, I remember in O two, a lot of people were saying. Oh, well, we got Costa Rica in the group stage. We got China, which are sides that do not play that well. Uh, Costa Rica at that time didn't. Uh, now it's like our group is tough. It's, it's one of the toughest groups. Serbia is by no means an easy adversary. Switzerland it's, uh, can cause uh, trouble to a team. Like we couldn't win past Switzerland four years ago. Uh, maybe the only uh, win that is quote unquote guaranteed is Cameroon, but now if after Saudi Arabia won against Argentina, nothing seems guaranteed. Yeah, I think we're going to have to wait and see exactly how the group plays out. I think especially because of you know the the Argentina result today. I think is kind of these predictions that we can make early on. You know, a lot of them can go very wrong very quickly. Um, so, yeah, everything that we're seeing now could be completely useless. Now, Ewan, Brazil plays Serbia on Thursday at 4 p.m. Brazilian time. In my sweepstakes guess, I put 3-1 Brazil. How about you? Um, so, I, I agree with that result. I think it's going to be a difficult game. I think Serbia definitely have enough to score against Brazil. But Brazil have that firepower that I think maybe, you know, in the second half... Once things are tight, Brazil will come up with a couple of goals. And yeah, I'd say 3-1 is a really good prediction. All right. And uh, if we win, then we're going to have to haze Ignacio, our Buenos Aires correspondent, who got pretty down after the Argentina game. (laughs) And if you're into the World Cup, Ewan has produced a special series about Brazil's most iconic title, the 1970 uh, third champion by the Brazilian side. And we are going to include the link to that series on the show notes. And Ewan, thanks for coming here. Thanks, Gustavo. Until next time. If you like explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help us reach a broader audience. Or better yet, sign up for the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. Thanks to our subscribers, we have been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively. And for our work, we have been shortlisted for or even won several awards. The latest were the 2022 Epi Awards, for which we won prizes for Best Political Cartoon and Best Overall Design. We were also runner-ups for Best Political Website or Blog, with under 1 million views and Best Homepage Design. In order to keep doing that work, we really need your support. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. 
thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week.